in prayer. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this very quaint and, and intimate time that we can have together with thee in the word this afternoon. Though we be few in number, yet you are amongst us. And that's all that really matters. Father, we pray that you'd continue to be with us and bless the word as it goes forth. Uh, bless the messenger and bless all the hearts that hear it. That your name would be lifted up and glorified through it. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Dear ones, for this afternoon's uh, meditation, I'd like to, with the Lord's help, go to the other end of First Corinthians. This will be First Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, and that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I am come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem and if it be me that I go also they shall go with me now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia for I do pass through Macedonia and it may be that I will abide yea and winter with you that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go for I will not see you now by the way but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Watch ye. Stand fast in faith, quit you like men, be strong, let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, and it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. 
for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord. With the, house, <clears throat> with the church that is in their house, all the brethren greet you. Greet ye one another with an holy kiss. The salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's the end of the letter for the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, the first letter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This seems to be quite um, an ordinary letter, at least, should I say, an ordinary chapter. If you go back to the previous chapter, it was just full of the theology, the gospel, the eschatology of the Lord God and his plan for salvation, the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of believers, the detailed um, dis dissertation on what our bodies will be like in the New Jerusalem in, in when we are glorified once and for all as believers um, talked about the sting of death being sin and and, and the victory over that sin, grave, where is thy victory? Sting, where is your death? Death, where is your sting? And so forth. And it ends up with a, uh, a very monumental uh, last verse. Well, it's last two verses. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, Unmobile, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we're talking, you know, the whole history of mankind here, his fall and then his, his um, restoration through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ when people were questioning the resurrection. And then we get into this chapter, just like we're back down to earth now, and he's talking about church business. He's talking about fairly simple ministry that we as believers can have. And to me, it's so reassuring and refreshing to to hear something like this that the Apostle Paul went through after being exposed to all the great grand revelations from Jesus Christ himself 
And now he's just telling the, the believers what to do, what to expect. He's telling them about his travel plans. And, and, and what it tells me is these are things that all of us can do, that all of us can relate to without having to understand these grandiose themes that he just went through in 1 Corinthians 15. And as of late, I've been um, researching and, and studying the many so-called great men of God in the past decades and centuries that left a big impression on this world, not because they performed miracles, not because they were eloquent and, and dynamic speakers, but because just they did the very simple little things. Just uh, yesterday I was intrigued to find out, <clears throat> just spotted my eye, a documentary on a, a man by the name of Don Richardson. And he went to a family, he, he went with his family to Papua New Guinea. Way back when it was, it was a, the island was divided into Iri and Jaya on the west and Papua New Guinea on the east, but it's actually Papua New Guinea. It was an extension of the um, Indonesian, if you will, island set. And during this interview, the hostess was asking him about his past, and he was actually from Canada. He came from Prince Edward Island. And as a nine-year-old, uh, one of the pastors in his church asked him, so, Don, what are you going to do when you grow up? He was nine years old. And he was puzzled, and he was, he was a bit quizzical, well, what am I going to do? So he said, he went to, he went to bed that night, and it, it bothered him. He didn't know what he was going to do when he was nine years old, what he's going to do when he grows up. And he, he knelt by his bed, and he said, God, please show me what I need to do when I grow up. And he felt a, a good feeling that night, but nothing showed up until he was 17. And at the age of 17, he was baptized, and he then remembered him kneeling by his bedside, thinking of what he was going to do when he grew up. God reminded him. When he became older, and they got, he got married, he was baptized, got married, then he knew he had to go to this place in Papua New Guinea. But he also knew that there was cannibalism there. There were tribes that were fighting. They were warring against each other. And he tried to reach these people that didn't have a, a written um, dictionary of their, of, their, of their language, vocabulary. He had to learn it all by communication 
So he tried to learn it by asking the local tribesmen there, what's that? And he point to a man or to a child or to a tree. And every time they said, they, they, they said to him, I think it was like dig dig. What are you telling me dig dig? And they said eventually he got the message they were telling this is your finger. Because that's not the culture, how they used to point to things. They would point by moving the lips and looking at a direction. And then they'd move the lips here and then they got the message. And he learnt the language that way. And he eventually translated the Bible into Sawi, or Sawi, I think the name of the language was, or the tribe. But he got... He was there for many, many years and he went down into the place where the cannibals were and they were constantly warring. Even in front of his very home, there were spears being thrown and injuries and people coming to his door. And he wasn't getting anywhere until one day he came to the tribesman and says, you know, I'm not getting anywhere. It doesn't seem like you're catching on and my wife and I are going to leave the island. They thought they were hopeless in what they were doing. And they loved this family because they had a lot of benefits from this white man. Because he would bring in medicine, he would bring in other things that they needed and they, they got to love this family. And so they, they made a deal. They called the two tribes together And they realize they're going to lose the white man. I forget what they call him, the, the, the tuna or the something like that in their language. So they made a deal. They promised not to war anymore. And what really struck me was that in order to keep their promise, their pledge, each tribe would give one child to the other tribe to look after. They called this child the peace child. And the Richardsons used that experience to show that the very God that they're talking about that wanted to bring peace to this earth gave his child to the earth to create peace. It was a fascinating story. And what, what was so f even more fascinating was they didn't do anything exceptional. No, no miracles like Christ did. No miracles like Paul did. They weren't persecuted. They didn't shed blood on themselves. They just did something what they believed God wanted them to do. And after 25, 30, 40 years, this is back in 1962 when they first went out. I thought I had heard all the missionary stories from Papua New Guinea, including Brother Vic Schlatter and Sister Elsie who was here for 40 years in Papua New Guinea on the east. And then the Iri and Jaya, the 
what did they call them, the lords of the earth, if you read that book. But what God could do through the simple acts of obedience just to me it's it's something that tells me that all of us can do maybe not go to Irinjaya or Papua New Guinea but some things that simple acts of obedience that we can do in our neighborhoods that can bring people to church that can bring them to be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have people in our midst, I'm looking at them now, that have come because they, as, as Brother Edmund would say before, each one reach one. We had a song in our choir about that. Each one reach one. And so when I look at Corinthians 16, it tells me something that is very simple but is so profound and so needful for us to follow the example of. So in the first verse he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. As I've ordered them, you also do the same. This was for, you'll see later on in verse 3 it says and when I am come whosoever ye shall approve by your letters them will I send to bring you your liberality unto Jerusalem this collection was for the believers in Jerusalem and around about apparently there was a, 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 a famine going on at that time food was scarce there was also a persecution of Christians and so they may have been forbidden to, to trade. Who knows how, what limitations they had. And he said, I've given this, this, he calls it an order, a charge, to those that were in Galatia, please collect for your brethren in Judea, in Jerusalem. And he said the same thing to the Corinthian church. Corinth was a city of great trade. We learnt that in our CFG. That's where commerce was. That's where all the goods went from the east to the west and the west to the east. And Corinth <coughs> was one of these ports on the west coast of the Ismith and then uh, Centria was on the, on, the, on the east coast of this Ismith where the, the, the cargo would go, be uh, un unbarked on, on the uh, west coast, taken across by by carts and wagons to the other coast so they can avoid that treacherous sea and long distance around the Panapolese and then take onto another boat and go towards Asia. So it was prosperous. Uh, the believers in Corinth had uh, much that they could contribute. Even if they could only contribute financially and through prayer is a service to God that will not go unrewarded or unnoticed. And he gave them charge and he says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, <clears throat> that there be no gatherings when I come. So they don't know when he's going to come. He said, I'm going to come back to Corinth 
And I want to accompany these men that you have charged, that you have approved of, that you've looked at their, their character, their spiritual character, and that are trustworthy, that are spiritual, that are godly, because we can trust them with this offering. And then I'll come and I'll also escort them. Even back, I guess especially back then, um, we, we see the, the, in the book of Acts chapter 6 how the, the seven deacons were appointed to minister over the tables in serving the widows, those that were deprived, who didn't have a husband, a man of the house, to, to be the breadwinner and the protector. They actually appointed seven godly spiritual men full of the Holy Spirit to do this work which is what is called a deacon's work. We've changed the name of deacons over the centuries. A deacon was really a, a servant as opposed to a semi-bishop as many people uh, try to uh, imagine him to be. A deacon has, in the time of the apostle Peter, was ordained to, to take care of the ministry of the church, the needs of the church. So lesson number one, how can I be used in the church of God? I don't have to cross the Taurus Mountains and, and uh, be stoned in Lystra and escape the Jews in Thessalonica. As long as I can do something to be a minister, a minister means to a servant to someone, then I'm doing God's will. As he says in Ephesians, not as... Um, A man pleaser, but doing the will of God from the heart as if God was watching and not man. And so he charges them, this is what the least that you can do to help and to minister unto others. And we've seen this uh, term before, these uh, letters of approval. He said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, do we need letters of approval? Being your apostles, do I need letters of commendation of approval from someone else to come and preach to you the gospel or to take oversight over you or, or charge you with something as if he hadn't already? Because he's already, if he will, if you will, we could see in this, in this very book, in the very first chapter, the same names that are written here, Stephanus, was the first fruits of his ministry. He says, I'm glad that I didn't, I didn't uh, baptize any one of you because there was the boasting about who's a Paul, who's a Paulus. I didn't baptize any one of you except Gaius and Crispus. And then he remembered, oh, there's also Stephanus. And Stephanus was mentioned in this chapter. And he was commending them, saying, these are people that you need to listen to. When they come to you, receive them. Don't reject them. They're going to come and, and give you directions that I've given them when they arrive in Corinth. And so he says, And when I come, whosoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality. It's an old archaic term for your offering, your gifts to Jerusalem. And if it be me, if it's if it's um, 
I wouldn't say convenient, appropriate, I don't know what term that you'll use, but if it's for this particular circumstance, you have to understand, when you read through this chapter, there's a lot of uncertainty. And you wonder why. Why, if, if, if Paul was a man of God, he should know what God wanted. How many times have we seen that even when Paul wanted to go here, the brethren begged him not to go here because they, they were fearing for his life. And then he said, after much you know, persuasion, he finally gave in. Let the will of the Lord be done. He acknowledged then, maybe my will is not the will of the, will of the Lord. Maybe these brethren collectively have decided through prayer and through, through, through communication with God that this is not for you, Paul, at this time. It's a lesson to us, too, that it's exactly what Jesus said in, in, his, in his Beatitudes. Don't swear, neither by your head, neither by the heavens or the, or the, or the earth. The heavens are God's throne and the earth is God's footstool. You can't make one hair black or white. Don't be so sure of yourself. And James takes it and says, instead of saying, we will go to this city, we will do that, say, if it be the will of the Lord. You can never go wrong with being confident in God. God, does, God knows what he wants. It's that we need to know what God wants. And so it's, if it be the will of the Lord, we shall do this and that. You'll see that later on as we go into this chapter. So if it be me, if it be at that time appropriate or convenient that I go also, they shall go with me. These are provers. These that have been approved to take the gift. He said, if at that time it be convenient, he's... Remember, he's what he's doing for himself here. He's not being sure if he's going to be there at the time he said he would. As a matter of fact, if you go to the next book, to the next letter, he spends almost a whole chapter telling them, I wasn't, I wasn't making up stories or I wasn't giving you false hope that I was going to come. Right? You remember that chapter? He says, uh, for the son of, where is it? And verse 15, and in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before. You see, he was delayed. And they were getting upset. Where is he? You know, he said he was coming, he didn't come. Why, right? That you might have a second benefit. He was delayed. And to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. So He's just reflecting, I believe, the same plans that he had in 1 Corinthians 13, eventually making a back to Judea with the gift. And he says, look, God, doesn't, um, God is always true. God is always faithful. He says, in the promises, in God, all of his promises are yea and not yea and nay. May God knows, we may not know, but that's why we have to always say, if it be the Lord's will. So back to chapter 16, he says, Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia. He's reflecting what you're saying in 2 Corinthians 1. For I do pass through Macedonia, if he comes, and it may be that I will abide, yea, I may hold to with you. He actually wintered in Macedonia, 
that ye may be may dwell on my journey wherever whithersoever I go. So I'm coming to you. I'm going to stay some time with you, maybe a whole winter, and then when I'm ready, you can have um, bring me on my journey. Prepare me to go. If you go to Titus, he says that they will bring you on your journey and provide whatever you need. That was a whole send-off that believers of that time were expected to have. That Paul said that a workman is worthy of his hire. He's, he's worthy to be given food and drink at the least. And whatever uh, essentials he may have in order to, to do the ministry of God. That's why we send uh, help to missionaries, whether it be in, in um, New Guinea or Brazil or Argentina or Ghana. We do that for the sake of the gospel, to help them do the work that God has asked them to do. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if, here it is, if the Lord permit. He had plans that he would do this, but only if the Lord permitted. We cannot go wrong by saying, if God wills. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. So it appears to be that Paul was writing this letter from Ephesus. The, at the end of, the, at the, end of the, the book, it says the epistle to the Corinthians was written from Philippi by Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus and Timotheus. Um, I've, I've searched to see who else believes that way. I don't get too many people that have studied, their scholars that have studied that it was written from Philippi because I couldn't get it from this chapter. It says here that he would stay in Ephesus. I'm not going to argue that point, but this is not, this was an addition by the editor thinking that it was at Philippi. Maybe he's right, but he says he was telling he would wait at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. He says, God has revealed to him something that he needs to do while he was in Ephesus. How long did he stay in Ephesus? Twice as long as he stayed in Corinth. When he was in Corinth, he was there for 18 months, a year and a half. When he was in Ephesus, he stayed there for three years. Again, this... This goes back to this, the simplicity of what Paul was doing. For three years, he was there just talking, uh, went to the synagogues, he, 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 he ministered there, he probably gave them the same uh, advice he gave to many churches. They picked up his gospel and counseling, but he was there for three years. But they weren't um, idle years. He wasn't just hiding there until there was an opportunity for him to get through these other places without persecution. No, he had a reason to be there. And you can read through uh, Acts chapter 20. You could read through how he met Timotheus in, in Acts chapter 16. He went to Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 and 19 and 20. He was in Ephesus. And probably from there he wrote this... Um, letter to the, to the Corinthians church because there was a great door there was a great benefit for him to be there and effective 
and he could see it and that's what delayed him but what else delayed him the adversaries the devil is always there to try to stifle and to somehow thwart try to thwart the plans of God you remember the, the parable of the tares and the, and, and, the, and the wheat the one that I misunderstood for a long time I thought well I was talking about the church in the church there's wheat and there's tares there's the good and the bad but that's not how Jesus elaborated that. What he was saying is anywhere where God's people sow good seed, where anywhere where God's people rise up, there's the devil. He comes in and he sows his tears. He's countering whatever the Christians are doing. When Paul showed up with, I forget which place where he met, where he met Elymas, the sorcerer, Right? Preach the gospel, in comes the devil. Preach the gospel, in comes the devil. And we should never be surprised that our efforts as believers are going to be stifled or try to be stifled by the devil, by the enemy. And, and as you study all these missionaries that went, Robert Tremaine uh, Thomas and, and uh, Adoniram Judson and Hudson and, and, and people in, in uh, China and, 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 and uh, Papua New Guinea and anywhere else, there was always opposition to the point of death, execution, but it never in, in any way thwarted God's plans. They were done. And the, these countries today have a tremendous amount of, 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 of Christians that, that, that believe in Christ <coughs> because of the efforts of these that went before to thinking it's impossible there's no way God's word will not return to him void now if Timotheus come see that he may be with you without fear for he worketh the work of the Lord as also I do just because they didn't know Timothy as well as they did Paul or Stephanus or Fortunatus or whoever they, that was sent. Even actually if you go into the second book of Corinthians, the second uh, letter, you will see that it's actually Titus that shows up. And Titus gives them a good report. Titus reported to the Apostle Paul the, the fruit of his previous letter, how they repented how they, chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, how <coughs> effectual that, that, that letter was to bring them to godly sorrow and repentance. These are different men, different individuals, but God used and orchestrated as the, the choir master, if you will, directed so each and every one could do <coughs> and fulfill his will in the kingdom. And we know that um, in, in a personal pastoral letter to Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, let, let no man despise your youth. You, you're a young man. But I looked up. I looked up all these names to see how many times they were mentioned. In, in the New Testament 
Sosthenes was mentioned twice. Sosthenes was the one. Remember in Corinth, if you go in the book of Acts, there was a riot and they were taken before Gallio, the deputy, and Sosthenes was mentioned there. He was the ruler of the synagogue. He became converted. In this chapter, he's a Christian. And then you've got, we mentioned Stephanus, and he was in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's now a faithful follower that came to minister to him because the other Corinthians couldn't be there. Then we've got Titus, he's mentioned two or three times. <coughs> but Timothy was mentioned in passages, something like 20 passages in the book of Acts, in the book of Corinth, Corinthians, in, in his own letters. Here we've, met, we've seen him. How he had accompanied Paul as a young man, probably not married at this point, but yet he followed Paul around. He took, he took the, the experience that he had with the Apostle Paul and the knowledge that he gained from him and the encouragement. And Paul mentored him as his own son, he calls him. Timothy didn't produce any miracle. Timothy didn't get stoned from what we know. But he, he, he stuck around with Paul. He believed the gospel. He had a godly mother and a godly uh, grandma. He believed the gospel. He just obeyed. And he was everywhere. And now he's a household name. Not because that means anything to anyone except for maybe this world like fame and, and notoriety. But he came and he just did what the Apostle Paul asked him to do. And Paul said, look, don't be afraid. Don't let anyone take advantage of your youth. Stick up for what you believe. Let no man therefore despise him. And he's telling the others, he's protecting him. From He knows who he's going to face in Corinth. He knows that he's got all these sectarians in Corinth, those that were making divisions. And he said, look, when he comes, be good to him. I'll come. <laughs> Almost as if, if you don't, I'm going to come. I'll let you have it. I'll let you know what I think if you're not good to him. As touching our brother Paulus, I agreed, I greatly desired him to come unto you with, with the brethren. But his will, listen to this now, Paulus was encouraged greatly by Paul. Apollos, you should go there. I really want you to go there. He was articulate. He was passionate. And uh, then he said, but his will was not at all to come at this time. Huh? The great leader, the great father of the church asks Apollos to do something. And Apollos says, sorry, brother Paul, but not this time. These are real people. These are real people. This is not like, it's like machine work. Everything goes because you're a house, in the house of God, because you're a child of God, because you're with brothers and sisters that have a mind like Christ. Everything should go according to what I plan. No. Remember, we're a family. 
We are a body. And each member is not autonomous. I'm not the head. Paul is not the head. Christ is the head. This is the big lesson we have to learn from this. That Christ is the head of the church. And if the arm says to the other arm, do this. If it's not coming from the head, it's not going to do it. And you know what? Paul was such a humble man. He could accept that. He could accept when he got an answer, no. When he was rejected. Because he was wise enough. Because he, you know what? Maybe that's my will, but it's not God's will. I need to step back. Paul was not the ones that, that um, lorded over Christ's kingdom. You know, Peter says in his first epistle, chapter 5, you know, we should not be lords over God's heritage. There should be no dictators in the church. An elder is an elder. But it doesn't mean that everything that, that the elder says must go. We sh we sh anyone should feel free to approach their elder and ask, what did you mean by that? I don't, I don't understand. Explain that to me. But once this is all done, once we've gone through the, 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 the discussion, and I give you the reasons why, or the elder from the other church gives you the reasons why, God says, obey them that have the rule over you. Obey them. And, and love them that rule over you. It doesn't mean blind faith. We have the opportunity to question. Paul was questioned. And many times he, he backed out. Just like here, I said, you know what? Let that happen. Let that be the will of the Lord. He never, but you know what? Somebody else comes in that is available and that's willing and it is convenient for him and it is me and he does it. I don't know the sequence of events, but it turns out, as I said, Titus ended up going to Corinth. He says, then to the rest, to the, all the Corinthian church, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. It doesn't mean to quit, doesn't mean to stop, doesn't mean to give up. It means equip yourself, gird yourself like a mature believer. It's not just speaking to the men, it's speaking to everyone. Gird yourself like a mature believer. Don't be a child. He says, in, in, in malice be like children. But in understanding, be like men, he says. He's almost like he's finishing off like chapter 15. Stand therefore, right? My beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor <coughs> is not in vain in the Lord. <coughs> Let your all your things be done with charity, with love. Without love, it means nothing. If we don't show the love of God in what we do, then who are we doing it for? If we are not doing it for the love of God, what is our motive? What is the motive? Is it to get recognition? Is it ambition? Is it to feel important? 
Without charity, it means nothing. Paul writes that in chapter 13 of this very letter. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. This is why I love the, even these little simple details, because it shows you the cohesion of the letter. One author, he went back to the very first chapter of this letter. He said, <clears throat> remember Stephanus? He's the one that I baptized with Crispus. Remember that? A little detail, but it means so much. It means he's authentic. It means he remembers. And they that have addicted themselves, they that have addicted themselves to the gospel, to the ministry. Sorry, it's true to the gospel, but he says, those that have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. You say, well, that's a word that means you're dependent. When you get addicted to something, you become dependent on that substance. That's, that's the word that the King James Version team has decided to choose, but it's really the same word as another word that was in uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 46, I think it was, where it says that, and those that were ordained to eternal life believed. Those that had ordained themselves or when you, when you choose yourself to do something, you've committed yourself to this particular task or to this particular um, exercise. That's what it means here. So it's a reflexive verb. They did it to themselves. Now, it is true that God calls us, but it's our choice to respond. It is our choice to respond to God's calling. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. So here the saints have addicted themselves, not just to the preaching of the gospel, it says to serving others, to ministering to the saints, to serve believers. That was, that's what Paul says in, in uh, a parallel passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, where he's also talking about giving. Remember that? Where he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Where did he get that from? Did he make it up? I believe he got that from Jesus as well. But he said there, I'm glad you gave. I'm glad you gave. Not because of what you did. I'm glad that you gave yourselves not necessarily that you gave the gift. That's just the fruit of what you've done. That's just proof of what you've done. But first you gave yourself, he said. Before we can give anything to anybody else, we have to make sure that we are willing to give ourselves. We have to be committed to give it up ourselves. Then everything else is much easier. That ye submit yourselves unto such, and to every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. And it goes on and it enumerates and names some of these believers. <clears throat> For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge ye them that are such, that the churches of Asia, and so forth, he gives the greetings. Uh, the churches of Asia salute you, Aquila and Priscilla. There's another couple that's quite oftenly mentioned. These 
believers was such a refreshing to the Apostle Paul that he made his job easier. With all his burdens, his fightings and his fears, these were a refreshment to him and what encouraged him to go on further. And I know, moms and dads, the reason you give up so much for your children is not because you want them to be you, you want them to become somebody big or uh, get educated. You want the best for their welfare because you love them. We love them. The motivation here is love. We want what is good for them. Not what is good for us. Sometimes we've got to realize that. We, some, some parents want to somehow live vicariously through their children. And I've seen that happen. And then they mistreat their children. They criticize their children. They're constantly uh, assessing them and you're not good enough. How come you're not as good as that person over there? Why can't you be the top of the class? And so forth. Many people, many young people, in, 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 especially in, in the Middle East, in, in the East, should I say, uh, commit suicide. Because they can't live up to the standards of their parents. Are the parents looking for what's going to make a name for themselves? Or do they want the welfare of their children? And that's the heart the Apostle Paul had. This seemed like a very simple, straightforward chapter, and it is. But that's where the beauty lies. In the little things that Jesus said, he that is faithful in little is going to be faithful in much. To God be the glory. Amen. Brother, find it. The word of God is real. It's different than so many other literature, religious literature. It doesn't hide its, the failures of its prophets, apostles, but it glorifies the works of Jesus Christ, the one in whom there was no sin and there is no sin. He's the one, Paul says, I will glory in my infirmities. I will not boast in anything but in Christ and him crucified. Or preach anything but Christ and him cru crucified. May we all take comfort in that. To know that we are all fallible humans. But God can make something beautiful out of our lives. Even in our frailty. Because when we are weak we are strong. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.